grounded its fleet of 737-800 planes. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 22nd of March. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam said Monday that the SAR will keep most COVID-19 measures in place until April the 20th, but then start a phased wind-down of restrictions. The flight ban from nine countries, including the US, UK and Australia, will be lifted from April the 1st and the inbound quarantine period will be reduced to seven days from the same date, provided the incoming travellers test negative on the sixth and seventh day of their hotel quarantine. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said the government would continue to work to reopen the city to the mainland. Reviving access to the Greater Bay Area would create a lot of opportunities for the local economy, he added. China left its benchmark loan rate unchanged on Monday, despite state leaders vowing last week to support the weakening economy. The People's Bank of China said the one-year loan prime rate remained unchanged at 3.7%. The five-year LPR, which is linked to the mortgage rate, also remained unchanged at 4.65%. And China will give nearly one trillion yuan in tax rebates to small firms to shore up economic stability. State media CCTV quoted a cabinet meeting as saying on Monday, the state council meeting chaired by Premier Li Keqiang resolved that China will also take targeted measures to boost market confidence and keep capital market development stable and healthy. And Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said Monday that a substantial firming in the stance of policy was necessary despite a sharp escalation in geopolitical tensions tied to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Mr. Powell said that the labour market in the US looked extremely tight and inflation was much too high. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong of Leeds Securities and Louis Kois at S&P Global Ratings with a view from Japan, Maxine Darmit of Fitch Ratings. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street... U.S. stocks fell and Treasury bonds extended their losses following Jerome Powell's comments. The S&P 500 index dropped as much as 0.9% before recovering to close almost flat on the day at 4,461. The Dow, which was down more than 400 points at the low of the day, lost 202 points to 34,553. The Dow was dragged lower by a 3.6% fall in the shares of Boeing after a China Eastern Airlines Boeing 737 passenger plane crashed in southern China. The Nasdaq Composite Index fell 0.4%, ending at 13,838. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index was almost unchanged on the day, following its best week since 2020 last week, which saw the regional index regain all of its losses since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. London's FTSE 100 climbed half a percent. Russia's stock market remains closed, but trading of Russia's local currency government bonds resumed yesterday on the Moscow Stock Exchange. Russia's central bank said it would purchase government bonds to support the market. Volatility in Hong Kong stocks continued on Monday as a sharp rally at the open evaporated as the day wore on. 
On Monday morning, the Hang Seng opened over 400 points higher, above 21,800. But by the end of the day, the index had lost its gains to end 191 points lower at 21,221. The Hang Seng Tech Index, which rose 5.6% last week, helped by a record-breaking single-day gain of over 22% on Wednesday, tumbled 1.5% lower. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was 0.1% higher at 3,254 after falling to a two-year low last week. It is down almost 11% this year, making it one of the worst-performing major benchmarks in the world. Oil prices moved higher after reports that the EU was considering whether to join the US in imposing an oil embargo on Russia. Brent crude oil jumped 8% to $116.37 a barrel and gold is almost 1% firmer at $1,937 an ounce. U.S. government bonds extended their losses following Jerome Powell's comments, putting them on track for their worst month since 2016. The 10-year Treasury bond yield rose 14 basis points to 2.30%, and two-year yields soared 16 basis points back above 2% to 2.12%, their highest since May 2019. The U.S. dollar inched higher. The euro is trading at $1.10 and a quarter cents. The bucks at 119 and a half Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.31.7 cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 30 cents. And the Chinese yuan is at 6.37 versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin fell 1% to $41,100. Around Asian stock markets in Australia, the SX200 currently up one and a quarter percent. In Japan, uh, the Nikkei 225 uh, has just opened up around 0.8%. And futures markets indicating the Hang Seng could add about 200 points at the open this morning. We have with us on the phone this morning James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Leeds Securities. Morning, James. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Louis Coyce, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. Morning to you, Louis. Morning, Peter. Um, Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam said yesterday that the SAR is going to keep most COVID-19 measures in place until April the 20th, but then start a phased wind-down of restrictions. She said the COVID situation was still severe, and while it may have passed the peak, there were still fifteen to 20,000 cases a day. However, the flight ban from nine countries will be lifted from April the 1st, and the inbound quarantine period reduced to seven days, providing incoming travellers test negative on the sixth and seventh day of their hotel quarantine. And she said that providing there were no signs of a rebound in cases... Social distancing measures will be relaxed in three phases over three months, starting from April the 21st. Um, James, business leaders, chambers of commerce have been calling for a relaxation of travel restrictions and other social distancing measures. So this is certainly a start. Do you think it goes far enough? Uh, it's a little late, but I think it's a good start. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard to keep one's uh, sanity intact when we see, uh, when, we saw, when we saw daily confirmed numbers of Omicron uh, reached about 50,000 and then uh, 30,000, 20,000. I mean, still averaged about 20,000 for the past two weeks. Uh, the, the thing is that we, we are seeing uh, more and more people getting jabs and we're seeing uh, probably a crowd in uh, herd immunity uh, is reached somehow without the uh, government's uh, help. And uh, I think it's 
it's uh, really adding a lot of pressure for expats uh, for the uh, during the past uh, two months for them to stay in Hong Kong, given the uh, the economy and given the uh, Omicron outbreak. But right now, seeing the uh, social distancing measures loosening up, and uh, I think it's it's not a much, but uh, uh, at least it's uh, it's a cautionary tale for the governments. And I don't know if I don't know if they learn any lesson from this uh, uh, epic. Uh, uh, dislocation of, of, of uh, resources. But I, I'm pretty sure the central government and local governments in China has learned uh, some lessons from what happened in Hong Kong. And, uh, do, do, you think, are, do you think that the, the, the yeah. quarantine period for incoming travellers has been reduced from 14 days now to seven days? Do you think that would encourage people to come or does the fact that you still have to quarantine for seven days, even if uh, you get test negative when you get on the plane, is that going to put people off when you can go to many other places now and not quarantine if you're negative? Uh, well, I think I think it's, uh, like I said, it's a good start and uh, it's not a really that excruciating uh, compared with the 14-day quarantine. And uh, people are just not, we just don't have a lot of time to waste uh, the mm. 14 days, it's definitely a no. Seven days, probably. I think that's the difference. Okay. Um, Louis, what does this do for Hong Kong's economy? Well, Hong Kong's economy will go through a rough patch. Um, I think um, uh, Paul Chan also admitted that we will go through a, a weak first part of the, of the year. Um, I think, you know, if, if this conditional roadmap can be carried out and if you know, so the degree of confidence and visibility will help sentiment, then uh, it, it is reasonable to expect an improvement later in the year. But yeah, clearly, we're going to have a rough first uh, few months, as also was indicated by the increase in the unemployment rate. Well, and what do you expect for the first half of the year? Are you expecting contraction now or a potential recession? On a seasonally adjusted basis, Yes, uh, the economy will contract in the first quarter. It's a bit too early to say. I mean, if the conditional roadmap can be uh, stuck to, then we could hopefully avoid a further contraction in the second quarter. Mm. I mean, before before the um, the pandemic, um, the sort of medium forecast for economists for Hong Kong's economy this year was about 2.3%, but I presume there's no chance of reaching that now. Um. You know, sometimes we have seen that some of the other regional economies can bounce back pretty nicely after uh, an opening up. Uh, you know, like I think something one and a half, two percent may still be possible for the year as a whole. OK, well, that's encouraging. Um, James, why, why are we waiting till April the 21st to start easing these restrictions on April the 21st? The first phase uh, means that gyms... Um, Beauty salons, sports venues can open and we'll be able to dine out uh, until at least 10 p.m. instead of 6 p.m. now. And the, and the table limit's going to be increased to four. But uh, the, the, I suppose the question is, why wait? Why, why not do it straight away? Well, I think they are just waiting for more people to get, uh, get jabs and for the herd immunity to reach a higher level so that uh, uh, daily outbreaks number can be controlled at about three digits. And uh, uh, people will not be uh, so uh, prone to be infe- to be to be uh, infected. I think they're they're waiting for that point. 
Mm. Okay. Louis, let me ask you about the mainland um, economy. China left its benchmark uh, LPR unchanged at 3.7%. The five-year is at 4.65%. Some people were calling for a small cut in the rate after the reductions we saw in December and January. First of all, uh, was it a surprise to, to see it unchanged given all the talk we heard last year, uh, last week, and again on Monday um, about uh, the central government wanting to uh, support the economy? I don't think it's yeah. a surprise. I th- oh. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, usually, Peter, they start with uh, uh, adjusting the uh, the MLF rate, and the LPR rate is meant to follow that. Also, I think PBOC is struggling a little bit with, you know, the Fed really starting to, um, you know, show itself to become more aggressive on its on its interest rate increases. I think they're a little bit cautious on that interest rate front. And of course, in China, they can always do more uh, using other levers to ensure more bank lending going out. James, what what do you think? Yeah, I think it matches what the uh, State Council said yesterday. The uh, they pledged stronger monetary policy support. But at the same time, they are cautioned against the uh, flooding the market with liquidity. So uh, uh, talking about the uh, the LPR rates, I, I think the consensus is that the LPR is going to be kept the same uh, this time around. But uh, we are ex- still expecting triple R, a triple R cut uh, in the near future. So it's just a matter of time before we do see uh, these rates come lower. Yes. Louis, the, the, the China's economy, though, the, the pressure on the economy hasn't really eased, has it? Things like investment, consumption, uh, industrial production seem to, despite those surprising figures in February, that all the anecdotal evidence suggests that they're going to point downwards in March. Yeah, the data for the first two months was remarkably good. Uh, we don't understand all of the reasons uh, for it, but uh, they painted a relatively optimistic picture. You know, if you look at the downward pressures coming from the uh, restrictions and, and the, 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 the COVID caution that is weighing on consumption, and if you look at the property downturn, it is going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to still be tough uh, for China. So it's uh, not very easy for the government to meet its growth target, the, the target of around 5.5% that it set for itself. But at least, you know, I think uh, as Leo Hurst's comments last week and the, the statements of the regulators and departments, ministries uh, underlying it uh, indicated, the, the, the setting a relatively ambitious growth target gives the market and the businesses the, the 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 prospect that the government will take further measures. Mm. And you mentioned the Fed earlier. We heard Jerome Powell speak very hawkishly last night. Mm. He was talking about a substantial firming now in the stance of policy. He said the labour market looked extremely tight. Inflation was much too high. Um, it seems really that um, he's, he's determined to, to get on top of inflation, doesn't it, at almost any cost? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Like, it does look a little bit like, you know, they, they, they seem to have changed their stance a bit. I wonder if they felt that they were a little bit, you know, on the wrong side, having been caught out as having been behind the curve and trying to make up for that. Mm. I, I don't know. James, do you think the markets yeah. are prepared for this very hawkish Fed? They're talking, well, they were talking. 
uh, talking last week about seven rate hikes this year. That's one at every meeting. Uh, Jerome Powell said they haven't even ruled out yet uh, maybe a half a percent increase at the next um, meeting. Now, the bond yeah, market's yeah. clearly are pricing this in, but stocks aren't, are they? Uh, yeah, the, the fact that the market found the, uh, Jay Powell's uh, statement yesterday surprisingly hawkish is actually a surprise to me uh, because <laughs> the, the inflation thing is really going out of control in the States and it's not going down, like, like James Bullard put it. Uh, PCE has never once in history just go down on itself. Intervention is definitely necessary. And, uh, and I, I just don't think inflation, a 25%, a 25 bips hike, uh, in March is gonna do anything but, uh, reconfirming the market's view that Fed is making one policy error after another. And, uh, we're, we're, it, it's, it's going crazy if we uh, talk to, any friends living in the states, you'll find out the uh, some some places in California the gas price is about 7.55 per gallon, and the uh, average for the whole entirety of California is above five dollars per gallon, and it's so expensive. Some gas companies or gas stations uh, even had a plan for those who cannot uh, who cannot afford uh, a whole tank of gas to pay in installments. So this is how crazy it is now. And I don't think a 25-bit uh, hike in March is, is enough at all. So, uh, yeah, it, we, we already think before Jay Powell made that statement that uh, there will, will be one month or two months in which FOMC decided to uh, hike the rate by 50 base points. And uh, with that going on, and we, we, we our view uh, aligned with JP Morgan's view in terms of a uh, yield curve inversion. Uh, Two-year, ten-year is probably going to be inverted in June or July. Uh, that that marked uh, a uh, it's definitely an indication of uh, indicator of what uh, uh, recession is coming uh, of of uh, recession looming around the corner. And uh, I think this time. A high inflation and uh, a slower growth uh, makes the recession inevitable. Mm. Louis, we heard James Bullard talking about uh, the Fed also needing to be more aggressive in order to, to restore some credibility. Do you think uh, it seems the FOMC is, is divided at the moment, doesn't it, on, on what to do next? But do you think we do need a, a more aggressive Fed at the moment? No, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's, it's really easier said than done. Um, and also, uh, there are still, you know, some puzzles also in terms of what the market thinks, you know, because um, so if you look at bond yields and, 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 and you know, to James's point about, you know, uh, a risk or a situation of yield curve inversion, basically that long-term yields are pretty low compared to where short-term mm. yields are, that actually suggests that the central bank, despite all the comments we make, still does have credibility because if bond yields then start to rise, that's a sign that people have really started to factor in inflation remaining an issue over the longer term. And so, I, you know, it's a, it, it is a tough call because if you ask people, if you ask, you know, uh, experts, monetary experts, what should you do if there is an oil price increase, nine out of ten will say, well, unless the situation is really tough, 
central banks are supposed to look through that, as in they are not supposed to hike their rates, uh, you know, at, at trying to stem the oil price increases uh, in, uh, uh, in the butt. So it is, it is a tough one in terms of how should the central bank respond to further increases in these, you know, energy prices and, uh, and, and commodity prices. You don't want to choke growth too much, but you somehow have to anchor inflation expectations. I think this is a debate that will continue to go on and it will actually get worse because inflation will go up and growth is coming down. So the, so the stakes are getting higher. James, let me finally ask you about Chinese equities. Um, do you think they, they've bottomed? Has, have the comments from Lou He and the State Council last week about uh, policy you know, being more aligned with the markets and market expectations, do you think that's put a flaw now under equities or is this a temporary rebound? Uh, I think it's more like uh, observing the development than the uh, euphoria we saw, uh, euphoria we saw uh, last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they are making good good developments, uh, including uh, uh, the in terms of uh, mon- mon- uh, fiscal stimulus and in terms of uh, wording uh, they use. We now see the Chinese government is going to be giving out one trillion yuan to small and micro companies uh, and to support their their. Uh, developments, and we've seen uh, wordings coming out of authorities, regulators, become softer. Because right now, uh, there are actually two occasions after the uh, the, the marvelous rebound of the tech stock last week. Uh, uh, both in both occasions, authorities uh, were probing some mm-hmm. online platforms, but the words they use uh, is help instead of. Uh, some other stricter or more uh, vicious words. So oh, I think okay. this is heading in a, in a good direction, but uh, other concrete steps remains to be seen. Oh, okay. Well, thank you both very much. That's James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer Overseas at Lead Securities. Louis Coyce, who's Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Take 24. Let's join now Maxime Darmit, who is economist at Fitch Ratings. Morning, Maxime. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me ask you first, I know we're going to talk about Japan in a moment, but Fitch Ratings yesterday, you've cut your global growth forecast as a result of the Ukraine war. Um, GDP growth forecast now, you've slashed by 0.7 percentage points uh, to, to 3.5%. Quite a substantial reduction. It sounds like that you are expecting that these economic sanctions on, on Russia, the war in Ukraine, to have quite a big impact uh, globally. Yeah, yeah, indeed. As you said, uh, we cut quite sharply the, our global economic forecast for 2022. Uh, yeah, it's really done on the fact that energy prices are rising sharply. So now the, the world economy is facing like a double shock uh, stemming from the supply chain disruptions, uh, which have started last year and have not really eased. And in fact, we expect them to uh, linger a little bit longer than previously expected. And second of all, obviously, the fallout of the Russian-Ukraine conflict, which are pushing up energy, energy prices uh, high, uh, and of course, rising uncertainty in many places. So uh, we think growth to be much lower, for instance, in the Eurozone. But also, obviously, Russia is going to be the first country uh, heavily impacted. We are forecasting Russian GDP to fall by over 8% in 2022. So this is a really sharp interaction. So, yeah, all in all, the growth outlook looks more um, challenging uh, as we, as we uh, 
progress into 2022. And, and you said that uh, in your report, global inflation is back with a vengeance after an absence of at least two decades. And this is starting to feel like an inflation regime change moment. It sounds like we're at a real tipping point. Yeah, it is a very important uh, moment, as you said, in 2022, because you got an energy, a lot, a lot of shocks pushing up energies. As I said, commodity prices going through the roof. Uh, supply chain disruptions, you got the ad, new outbreak of COVID in China, uh, which as well do not vote well uh, for the resumption of normality in supply chains. Uh, unemployment rates are pretty low as well in the Western world. So uh, you're starting to see signs that wages are going to be uh, increased because uh, households obviously do not want to lose out too much on purchasing power. So they're going, they're going to demand higher wages. Um, so, yeah, the environment is, is a little bit toxic uh, in terms of inflation and growth. So, uh, yeah, definitely something to be concerned about. And what can the Fed and other central banks do to support growth? We heard um, Jerome Powell last night talking extremely hawkishly um, about, you know, there's going to have to be a sharp adjustment in monetary policy. Can they do both at the same time? Can they fight this inflation without tipping the U.S. economy into recession? Well, it's really a good question. I, I think the, the sooner they had, the less likely the, the, the economies are, are, are likely to fall into recession because uh, now you got at a point where inflation is starting to keep getting embedded in high, higher wage demand, higher inflation expectation, and the longer central banks wait before tightening policy, uh, the harder it's going to, to, to become for, for inflation to, to, be, to be pulled down. Uh, so they will have to slow down the economy or even to, to keep the economy into recession. Uh, so for now, we think central banks are going to uh, carry on with a tightening uh, plan. We, we, don't, we do not forecast any recession. But of course, uh, whether they wait more, if, if they delay the, 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 the policy normalization process, there's, there's ex- extremely there's a risk, there's a risk ex- exactly that the world economy, particularly Europe, fall into recession later this year. But mm. this is not our baseline for now. And, and in Asia, where in particular do you think rising interest rates and, and higher commodity prices are going to pose the biggest challenges? Well, I think obviously you, you've got to look at Southeast Asia and South Asia, um, countries such as the Philippines, India, uh, which are like heavy net energy importers, uh, are obviously facing the hits of higher, higher commodity prices at a time where inflation is looks already quite high. Uh, for instance, in India, inflation is above 6% already and is said to be to be pushed higher. Um, so, yeah, we have, to, we have to keep an eye on, on these countries where external vulnerability risks have risen. Uh, that being said, some countries such as Japan, China now look more resilient. And, and Japan in particular, um, we saw a, a bounce back in the economy in the last quarter of 2021, although maybe not as much as people were expecting. Uh, what, what, what will happen with Japan? Well, yeah, I think Japan is still at the weak end of the market spectrum when it, it comes to growth. Uh, it has consistently disappointed in terms of the recovery from the, from the pandemic in 2020. So over the past few quarters, we have been disappointed. Uh, by, by, by the GDP recovery in Japan. Uh, for instance, in the first quarter of this year, uh, GDP did indeed bounce back, but it was much, much shallower than we expected. We're still seeing, you know, all these supply chain disruptions uh, holding back the recovery, but also in Japan, 
the people seem to, seem to be more cautious in the face of new virus waves. So, like for instance, the Omicron-driven uh, wave uh, has taken its toll on consumption, whereas in Europe or in the US, uh, the Omicron wave had a relatively mild impact. So, so the, the, the Japanese household, Japanese consumer, seems to be a little bit more worried of like venturing outside and spending money. Uh, and on top of that, of course. Uh, Japan is really like uh, linked to the supply chains and is, is really uh, uh, paying heavy price of the disruptions on that front. Okay, Maxime, thank you very much indeed. That's Maxime Darmitz, who is economist at Fitch Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, and in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is currently up 1.5%. The SX200 in Australia up about 1.2%. The Cosby also rising at the open in South Korea, currently with gains of about half a percent. Futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to add about 130 points at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil right now at $117.91 a barrel and gold. Uh, is trading at $1,933 an ounce. That's it for me. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, Radio 3's COVID update with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast for today, uh, mainly cloudy and foggy with a few showers. Maximum temperature is going to be around 25 degrees, isolated thunderstorms later, and those showers will become more frequent. And the outlook is it for it to become cooler appreciably tomorrow with showers and heavy thunderstorms at times. The temperature right now is 22 degrees, 95% relative humidity. The Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Boeing Chief Executive Dave Calhoun has told employees that the plane manufacturer has offered the full support of its technical experts in the investigation of the crash of a China Eastern Airlines 737-800 airplane yesterday in Guangxi. Media reports have cited a rescue official as saying the plane had disintegrated on impact, with the People's Daily quoting a provincial firefighting department official saying there was no sign of life among the debris. Robert Kemp has more. In an email to employees, Mr Calhoun said he was limited by what he could say about the investigation, which is being led by the Civil Aviation Administration of China. Trust that we will be doing everything we can to support our customer and the accident investigation during this difficult time. Guided by a commitment to safety, transparency and integrity at every step, Mr Calhoun said. Mainland authorities say flight MU5735, which had 123 passengers and nine crew members on board, was en route to Guangzhou from Kunming when it crashed at about 2.38pm in a mountainous area near the village of Molang. It caused a mountain fire which has since been put out. President Xi Jinping has ordered an all-out search and rescue effort. LegCo's development panel is meeting today to discuss plans to amend a series of laws to speed up land supply. These include limiting the time for public objections to projects and cutting public consultation from 17 months to 9 months. Twelve green groups have joined hands to oppose the plan. Chao Haoshan, a senior campaigner with Greenpeace, says in 24 previous applications they reviewed, public participation amounted to less than three months. She told RTHK that it was the government's administrative procedures that caused the longest delays. The proposal will only schedule public participation to hide the underlying core of the problem, which is the extensive time government departments took for administrative procedures and public planning policies, and electing the brownfield development as a prioritized option. And furthermore, not only does the amendment 
Cacao public participation without increasing the speed of housing supply. It also creates irreversible damage by establishing the practice of reclaim first, plan later. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has said his country will never bow to ultimatums from Russia to surrender its biggest cities. Kiev refused an offer of what Moscow termed safe passage for those in Mariupol if they laid down their arms. The Ukrainian defense minister has praised those he called the heroic defenders of the besieged city. President Zelensky said the only way for Moscow to achieve its goal would be to wipe out every Ukrainian citizen. Ultimatum не зможе зробити виконати Україна. Ось і все.